0: From bell to bell and post to post. We got a big battle in front of us, baby. it's just stop, So let's get fucking like a market. Working the territories on the Northwest Coast. Who wants to walk with Elias? You're listening to Wrestle Central. Give me a hell yeah. On Sportsnet 650. You got journalism for that. With Justin Morissette. に向かおう<笑> Yes, the King of Darkness is now the King of New Japan Pro Wrestling as Evil takes both of the top belts in NJW. NJPW, rather, sorry. Reading something as I take the show on the air here. Evil claims both belts in Tetsuya Naito. Uh, might actually just be cake in the end after all. A huge weekend in Japan, both the New Japan Cup final uh, for 2020 on Friday night and last night, Dominion as well. Uh, of course, teed up the whole thing last week on the show. It is Wrestle Central, as the man told you. My name is Justin Morissette with you here until 11 o'clock, and uh, we got a huge show for you. No guest this week. I'm back by myself after teeing up this weekend's uh, Japanese action with Emily Pratt last week. Uh, you can go back and find that conversation, of course, in the archives at sportsnet.ca/slash 650, and then uh, find Wrestle Central under the show's. Tab, a great conversation with Emily last week uh, about uh, the New Japan programming that I took in over the weekend, and possibly you did as well, uh, but also about uh, larger things too, uh, about uh, you know the speaking out movement and, uh, and the serious uh, allegations that have kind of dominated the wrestling world over the last several weeks. If you've been listening to this show on Sportsnet 650 the last three Sundays in a row, you'll know that we've kind of shied away from talking about uh, matches and booking and results and getting into the nitty-gritty of how the shows are doing and all that stuff, because Uh, It did feel irrelevant for a stretch there. It did feel like it was uh, less than important in comparison to the actual societal issues and the actual, uh, you know, systemic issues of abuse within the pro wrestling world that were being exposed before our eyes. I didn't feel good about, uh, you know, devoting shows to uh, diving into, you know, what I thought of the weekly TV or anything like that over the last couple weeks. Uh, But we are going to get back into that a little bit here. Here this evening because there are so much to talk about and wrestling needed a week like this badly because I don't know about you, but personally for me, one of the reasons that we didn't dive into the weekly booking of the TV over the last three weeks is that I couldn't stomach to watch it. The things that I had read Uh, online during the speaking out movement, Uh, you know, the things that were exposed about uh, people that I respected, people whose work I enjoyed, heck, even people who I have sat down and interviewed on this show. It didn't feel right uh, for me to continue to be a fan in the way that I was. And obviously, I love pro wrestling. I've been a committed fan uh, for a very long time now in this second span of wrestling fandom of my life. Uh, uh, but you need a little break sometimes, even even when there aren't you know, societal issues kind of crumbling your view of the wrestling world as a whole. Uh, I needed to step back a little bit. I took a break from watching the weekly TV for a couple weeks, and maybe uh, you did as well. I know a lot of people... Apparently, I stepped back from watching Raw over the last couple weeks because it posted one of its worst numbers of all time two weeks ago. In fact, its worst number ever, but that might be more COVID quarantine related than anything regarding speaking out. Regardless, uh, I was kind of put off the product for a little bit. I needed to take a break. I needed that mental reset. And I uh, returned to watching the TV, not actually just this past week, uh, but last week as well. Because you had two cards going head-to-head on the Wednesday night television. The Wednesday night wars actually felt like wars for the last two weeks. And I'll tell you more about that in just a second. But right now, I do want to let you know, of course, it is Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650. My name is Justin Morissette, and the show is live and interactive. I mentioned that it is a huge week for wrestling, of course. Great American Bash on NXT on Wednesday. The last two Wednesdays, in fact. Fighter Fest on AEW Dynamite this past Wednesday. Two major shows with shocking upset results in New Japan Pro Wrestling. And, uh, you know, you can have your say if you've got thoughts on anything that you saw this week or any of the news from outside the ring. In fact, we learned this morning that uh, Rusev, or the man formerly known as Rusev in WWE, his real name, of course, Miro Barnyashev, which is... To me, an incredible name. I never would have changed it at all, and given him, uh, uh, you know, a, a kayfabe, uh, or rather, uh, yeah, kayfabe, I guess, work name. Uh, the guy's awesome. I love Rusev. I'm a huge fan. He announced today that uh, he actually has contracted COVID-19. So lots to discuss outside of the ring as well. If you want to have your say, we are live and interactive. I would love to hear from you on anything that you saw, anything you would love to talk about. You can point me in the direction of topics you'd like to hear me talk about as well, and you can do that by. Getting at me on the text line, that's 650-650, the Sportsnet 650 text line, if you would like to interact that way. Or you can give me a call as well, taking calls all throughout the show, 604-280-0650. Before we talk about, uh, of course, the the fun stuff, uh, the weekly television, the Wednesday night shows that actually did feel like pay-per-views this week, uh, I do want to say one more thing uh, on, of course, speaking out, which is that uh, we did see some mainstream coverage this week of the allegations of uh, of abuse and a basically toxic work environment within ECCW, our local indie here, uh, the largest wrestling company in British Columbia. That story, which I talked about on the show last week, or two weeks ago rather, uh, was covered on CBC, pretty in-depth, in fact, on Friday. A web story, a nine-minute piece that ran on the early edition on Friday morning, and uh, a, a a television segment for the evening news at six o'clock as well. Uh, it was nice to see, you know, um, the story kind of make waves to such an extent that it would catch the eye of those kinds of hard news programs. And uh, some of the darker stories and allegations that I've heard about, uh, you know, the culture at ECCW maybe weren't necessarily touched on uh, in that piece. But it's a start, and the hope is that. Uh, what was exposed will perhaps prompt more people to step forward and speak their truth as well. So I do want to say that while I am getting back to talking about the weekly TV this week and, and talking about matches and talking about results and talking about booking and all the things that excite us about pro wrestling, this is not something that's going to disappear into the background. Speaking out is going to continue. There are going to be more stories. There are going to be more allegations. There are going to be more people who are brought down, by the damning truths brought against them before this is all over. And I do not want this to be, uh, you know, like like what like what people worry about with Black Lives Matter, that it was nice to have that week where we all uh, posted black squares on our Instagram and then had the, the blackout day and all these performative things. But eventually you lose momentum and people go back to their normal lives and start acting as normal. And, uh, you know, um, you're not hitting it with the same veracity that you had when it first started. Well, I am going to pull back from my wall-to-wall coverage of the hard news stories that have hit the wrestling world over the last several weeks, and that is both the COVID outbreak at WWE, which does continue to be a problem, and the COVID outbreak in wrestling as a whole, as I mentioned. Rusev now has it, too. Uh, you know, I might be stepping back from that, but this is not over, and as the story continues to develop, as I hope it does, over the next little while, we will be continuing to talk about these hard topics. It's not like, uh, you know, uh, it's time for fun again and we can put the heavy stuff behind us. This is something that's going to continue, but for now, I would kind of like to uh, get back to normal and talk about uh, some fun stuff because, look, there was lots of fun stuff to dive into this week, and I don't want to feel dirty in talking about it by acting like nothing bad is happening anymore and we can just go back to business as usual as wrestling fans. There are still Issues at play here. There are still problems that need to be solved. This is not a story that is over. It's just not a story that I can hammer every single week the way that I have the last couple here. You do need to remember why we love this stuff in the first place, and there were lots of reasons to remember exactly that this week. Uh, It's Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650. My name is Justin Morissette, and about to dive into uh, discussion on some of the television this week. Yes, I know it's the big story of the week. Uh, New Japan and, and evil conquering uh, the both New Japan Cup and the main event of Dominion last night too. But we're going to put that off for a little later in the program. We'll deal with that in the second half of the show tonight. But in the meantime, uh, I do want to talk about NXT uh, and the Great American Bash and Fighter Fest. Because these were two shows that were very... Very strong, in my opinion. Both of them, uh, you know, not just the two shows this week, uh, but the two weeks total from the last couple because uh, these were both kind of um, trying to, I guess, dress up the TV and draw some extra eyeballs put together a pay-per-view caliber card uh, for people to tune in and be excited about. And look, like I said, there's no better time to try and make people excited because I know I needed this. I think wrestling needed this, a week where we could feel good about the form of entertainment that we love to watch. And for me, there's no better example of that than, uh, you know, the best friends Chuck and Trent uh, in in AEW last week being driven to the ring in a minivan by Trent's mom, Sue, and Sue was in the crowd at Fighter Fest this past Wednesday as well. Big Sue is the baby face we desperately need in 2020. I tell you, I have not felt better about the business in the last couple months than I have watching that woman kiss her son on the cheek and say good luck as he went down to the ring before the main event of Fighter Fest night one last week. Overall I do think that AEW did win the week this week in fact. You know, even in a week where New Japan is rightfully going to dominate the headlines, they had the biggest stories, they had the biggest drama, the biggest shocks at the top of the card, but if you look at the overall body of work from top to bottom uh and the what the show's delivered from beginning to end Over the last two weeks, I really don't know uh, that anyone delivered better uh, than AEW did with Fighter Fest, and that's a hard comparison, obviously, because the New Japan Cup was still going on over the last couple weeks, so obviously, NJPW has run many more shows than AEW has over that time, so I'm not going to count the overall cup tournament there, uh, as far as uh, counting into that, but AEW had a great week, and a great week last week, too. And, and it was, you know, just tremendous. If, if anything, look, last week I came on the show and I kind of joked a little bit about the shows, both Great American Bash and Fighter Fest after week one, and that they were sold to us as pay-per-view caliber shows, you know, uh, the kind of matches that you're only going to see if you pay to see them. And they weren't necessarily that. I didn't feel like it. W- there were some great matches, obviously. They did give away some top, uh, you know, marquee head-to-head matchups, but overall, for the most part, you know, it was just strong television. I actually felt like both shows this week really were pay-per-view caliber and in a way were hurt by the fact that they actually were TV. And let me tell you what I mean by that. It's Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650. My name is Justin Morissette. You can weigh in on any of tonight's topics by shooting me a text at 650-650. Uh, you know, I for for example, you know, the number one match that I was looking forward to all week long. And look, I didn't know that I was going to be looking forward to Evil versus Naito as much as I was until we got the big twist on Friday night, but my big match for the last several weeks for the mas- last month if anything, uh has been Chris Jericho versus Orange Cassidy. I think Orange Cassidy is a really interesting character in the wrestling landscape right now. <laughs> I don't need to be a rocket scientist to tell you that. If you've seen him work, you know exactly uh, how appealing he is. But to me, and that's not an orange peel pun, by the way, though. Uh, maybe it was. Um, <laughs> to me, the the key thing with him is the crossover potential. And I've talked about this on the show before, the idea that when I tweet about pro wrestling, like for example, yesterday I saw a great story, Sami Zayn, a great Canadian kid, the pride of Montreal, Sami Zayn, posted an update on his Sammy for Syria charitable charity initiative where he was trying to raise money uh, to launch a mobile hospital unit uh, in Syria that could give people medical assistance that they desperately need as that uh, you know country goes through uh, great upheaval and and very difficult times a great cause tremendous work from Sammy and yesterday he was able to announce uh, that he had hit his funding goals last year, and in fact, uh, the mobile unit had been purchased, it had been outfitted as a mobile hospital, it had all of the equipment it was going to need, and it was in fact already on the ground and operational thanks to the support of Sammy's fans, which is a tremendous story uh, for the world at large, not just wrestling. I, I gave him a quote tweet and said, good Canadian kid, that's Sami Zayn, who needs a belt when your actions make you a true intercontinental champion, and I really do believe that. Uh, I'm not complaining that my tweet got low engagement, but that's a great story from Sami Zayn, and my tweet got, I don't know, three, four likes I'm not trying to count these things. What I am trying to do is draw a contrast between any time I share anything related to Orange Cassidy. People go crazy for this guy. Even people who are not traditional wrestling fans, people who don't seem to care about wrestling at all. And so you had this opportunity. You had this great stage to pit Orange Cassidy, this new, hot, young, exciting talent against Chris Jericho, one of the most established, well-known names in all of wrestling, who speaks to a casual audience like very few still can today. If you watched him work... Like, you know, in the early days of his career, 20, 25 years ago now, you have an affection for Chris Jericho that probably has outlasted your wrestling fandom. So if you hear that Chris Jericho was involved in a major match, well, maybe that might perk your interest. What I'm trying to say is, I feel like AEW had an opportunity here to use this as a match to pull casuals into their product. And on a pay-per-view, I think they would have done a better job of that because this was actually television and they sold it to us as a pay-per-view when it was not, we were missing a key thing, I feel, and that is... The highlight reel, the sizzle reel, the promo package that plays before matches and catches you up on the story that you might have missed. This is the one thing that WWE is superb at. Even if their booking decisions drive you bonkers, even if uh, you know there's so many things you compla- can complain about with regards to their product, the one thing that you cannot impugn them on is production value. They do a tremendous job getting you hyped up for matches by showing you a video package of the feud so far, the story you might have missed, all the biggest moments. It makes people feel big. It gets you charged up before the match itself. Look, I was already charged up for the match as far as Chris Jericho versus Orange Cassidy. I personally did not need that highlight reel, but... I do think if you wanted to make this into an event, if you wanted to pull people in, if you wanted to uh, expand your audience and inform new fans, you cannot act like everyone knows. Like, everyone knows what is going on at all times. And I feel like that is something that both companies need to learn sometimes. You know, I do feel like WWE often treats its main roster audience as if they know who these NXT guys are and don't have to do the work to establish them on the main roster that is often needed. And, you know, even in the case of someone like Kenny Omega, Kenny Omega is obviously the biggest, one of the most talented wrestlers on the entire planet. And yet he doesn't always feel that way. And that's, you know, partly by design, partly him being an unselfish wrestler, partly him not hogging the spotlight all the time. But I also feel like it's partly that AEW sort of felt like its audience already knew that, already knew who Kenny was, already knew how great he was, already knew everything about him. Uh, You know, you, you do need to introduce people to things sometimes. And Uh, That is part of the reason why I feel like uh, Kenny and and Adam Page as a tag team is actually something that's really tremendous and working very, very well. So let's start there with night two of Fighter Fest. That's match number one. Kenny Omega and Adam Page retaining their tag team championships in an opening match that ran just shy of 12 minutes, defeating Private Party, Isaiah Cassidy and Mark Quinn with Matt Hardy. Um... I want to say this is the most impressed I've been with Private Party to date. I thought this was a tremendous match for them. And look, not only are you getting the benefit of of audience investment in characters like Kenny Omega and Adam Page by actually telling a story with them, a story that has taken place over the you know span of many, many months now, and not only has had great character beats and motivation, but tremendous matches as well. Omega and Page are 10-0 and 0 as a tag team, and almost every single one of those matches, in fact, off the top of my head, I can't think of a single one that didn't deliver. They've all been excellent. So not only are you getting great matches, you're getting character and storytelling as well, which is kind of what was missing perhaps from especially a guy like Adam Page, who they tried to push into the main event spot coming right out of the gate uh, when Dynamite debuted last year. So uh, strong stuff from those guys. And my goodness, the AEW tag division is just Truly stacked. We'll get to that a little bit later in match number three when we've got an eight-man tag. But match number two for Fighter Fest this week, Lance Archer just dummying Joey Janela in 11 minutes and 17 seconds. A squash match, to be sure, but one that was a lot of fun. And you know what? Joey Janela, I think... He might have his detractors, he might have people who look at his body and don't think that he looks like what a wrestler should look like, but I personally happen to think that he's a very sympathetic babyface, and for him to be the one taking this beating from Lance Archer, who is just So compelling as an on-screen villain. The fact that he lost the TNT title uh, match against Cody has not affected this guy at all. He is a monster, and I enjoy a lot, in fact. you know, One of the things that I think played really, really well, even when AEW was running with a much smaller crowd in the audience than they currently are, one of the things that worked really well to me was the fact that Lance Archer talks to the camera so much. He plays directly to the camera, He is not just trying to intimidate his opponents. He's trying to intimidate you, the viewer at home. And even as someone who's a grown man in the comfort of my own home, I must admit, dear listener, sometimes I am, in fact, intimidated by that man a fun match even if it was a squash and again character helps you buy in I feel like AEW thought people knew who Joey Janela was off the indies but we need to remember that indie companies like GCW and indie stars like Joey Janela are still very very niche and it's you know so often frowned upon in WWE when two main eventers or two singles talents get pushed together in a tag team as if we had nothing else for you well that's exactly what's going on right now with Joey Janela and Sonny Kiss but you put together a nice video package you put them outside the ring you give me motivation as to why these guys are teaming up and why they're you know worth investing in as human beings I'm into them I'm into them both they are both shining right now more than any of them did, or either of them did, I should say, as singles over the last year, perhaps save for the outstanding match uh, that Joey Janella had uh, on pay-per-view last year against John Moxley. Uh, that's probably <laughs> Janela's high point as far as his... Uh, major company run has gone so far, but uh, I- I'm invested. I-, I had a good time with this match, but not nearly as much of a good time as I had with the next one. It is Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650. My name is Justin Morissette, and oh boy, I mentioned earlier that New Japan, or rather that uh, AEW, might have the greatest tag division going right now. Honestly, and Dave Meltzer said the same thing on Twitter, uh, if not yesterday than the day before, they might have the greatest tag division of all time right now. And I think it's hard to argue against that, just even when you look at who the top tag teams are in that company at this moment. Like forget even the the teams that are, you know, bona fide tag teams who have been teaming together for their entire careers, like the Young Bucks or FTR. Forget those guys for a second. Just look at who's right at the tippity top right now. And that is Kenny Omega and Adam Page. Two guys who are outstanding, the hangman and the cleaner. You know, like I said, Kenny Omega might be one of the best wrestlers on the planet. I also think that the Lucha Bros, as singles wrestlers, Pentagon Jr. and Ray Phoenix, are two of the best wrestlers on the planet. You could make the case that all three of those guys, Kenny and the Lucha Bros, are three of the top five best singles performers going. You could make that case. In fact, I have made it before. Uh, So when you look at that, and then you throw in teams like the Young Bucks, when you throw in teams like... Uh, the Revival or FTR as they're going by now because, of course, The Revival is a WWE copyright. When you, you know, look at even the undercard beyond that, uh, whether that's Butcher and the Blade, whether that is, uh, you know, even Private Party or, or any number of, like, fun tag teams that that AEW has on its roster, best friends even. This is a stacked division. Tag wrestling feels incredibly important in this company, and this match Honestly, might have been the most fun that I had watching any match all week this week. And there were some very fun matches in the world of wrestling this past week. It's Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650. My name is Justin Morissette. You can have your say on the text line at 650-650. And in fact, got a couple messages here uh, <laughs> from Lauren in Victoria who says, NJPW has essentially had the same five guys in the main event scene on a consistent basis. So to shake it up and put evil in there and also making him the de facto leader of Bullet Club is awesome. I love it. Lauren, I agree with you. We'll get into that a little bit later on in the program. Uh, Right now, I've got a text, however, from Aldo Montoya. Uh, I don't know whose pseudonym this is, but Aldo's been regularly texting into the show over the last little bit. He says, Glad to see WWE put their support behind Keith Lee, but... Could the Black Lives Matter movement and covering their PR bases be the reason? Lee is very talented and deserves his push, but can't shake, but I can't shake, that there's an ulterior motive. What are your thoughts, and what's next for Adam Cole and the Undisputed Era? I'm thinking he gets brought up to Raw only because Riddle went to SmackDown, Cole... Could be debuting by attacking Drew just like he debuted in NXT. Although that is a great point, there would be some synchronicity there, and I do think he would be a wonderful foil for Drew McIntyre on the main roster as well. Uh, but I don't, I don't know that y- political uh, motivations are behind his big win here. I think we've been hearing for the last eight or so months uh, <laughs> that uh, the WWE thinks you know the world of this guy, that the sky is the limit. For Keith Lee's potential. In fact, uh, he was the star of one of the Netflix films that they put together that they filmed right here in Vancouver called The Main Event, which uh, dropped on Netflix in WWE Films and Netflix's partnership uh, a couple months ago now, I think. But that was filmed uh, largely at Pacific Coliseum and all over Vancouver. Keith Lee is kind of the main wrestler of uh, of people who are actually signed wrestlers and and uh, characters in that film. And when he was put into that spot uh, during you know casting or when they were putting that movie together, the word was that they did that because by the time the movie came out, the rocket was going to be strapped to Keith Lee's back, that he was going to be flying to the moon, as it were. And it might have arrived a little bit later than that, though not necessarily. I do think Keith Lee was one of the breakout stars of Survivor Series Weekend as a whole. Going back to November of last year, uh, but you know he got the big win this week. They they put both belts on him in the main event of Great American Bash, and uh, I think for the second week in a row, I did prefer Fighter Fest as a as a show from top to bottom overall a lot better than the, I did enjoy the Great American Bash shows. But Great American Bash had the best match of the week both weeks as well at least as far as the Wednesday night television is concerned my best match of the week this week would probably be the main event of Dominion from last night's New Japan card uh, Evil versus Tetsuya Naito but uh, I thought Keith Lee and Adam Cole put on a show this week and and put on a show to an extent even larger uh, than Orange Cassidy and Chris Jericho did now uh, I was more emotionally invested in that match and felt more of an emotional payoff when Lee actually won. I don't know how much that is me bringing my emotions to the table and feeling good for the guy and how much it is that uh, you know Jericho and Orange Cassidy ended uh, with that just lame back elbow that Jericho does. So uh, it always feels kind of like uh, uh, an abrupt ending and not in a good way. Uh, when, when Jericho uh, wins that way, especially when he has so many great finishers. The Codebreaker is a fantastic move, the Walls of Jericho as well. I, um, I understand trying to get away from, um you know, maybe always winning with the, the Walls of Jericho in a submission move, but uh, it, it did feel a little anticlimactic. What I will say, though, getting back to AEW here, it is Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650. My name is Justin Morissette. Uh, what I will say is that. Uh, you know, I, I really, really uh, thought that Orange Cassidy put on a hell of a show this week in particular. Chris Jericho, as we know, from even his closing run uh, with WWE when he, you know, had that feud with Kevin Owens, that run with Kevin Owens, which was uh, exceptional. Um, there. You know, th- there was something missing in his work grade. He, we, we understand he's lost a step with age. He's still one of the greatest of all time and has probably the, the greatest career longevity and an overall impact on the business that maybe anyone has ever had in the history of wrestling. He's still an incredible talent, but he has not quite uh, kept up, perhaps, with what he once was. And it can be a little bit difficult drawing a tremendous match out of him. If that match had a crowd in the main event spot of Dynamite this week, if there was a full audience there to see those two guys go, I think what was a very good match would have been uh, on another level because Orange Cassidy is a guy who so lives and dies with crowd reactions. Now, he's a very impressive worker, and he can do very impressive things, but part of the appeal of him is how beloved he is, and you lose that when there is nobody there to cheer him on. Um, And I was actually very impressed with Orange Cassidy, as I've been trying to say here. Uh, You know, I thought from a uh, psychology perspective, his match with Jericho might have even been a more impressive showing than what he was able to do uh, with Pac back at Revolution, even if I liked the Pac match more than what I saw this past Wednesday. Because everything he did had purpose. Even the simple things, the little spots, the connective tissue that you see all the time in normal matches when you have a character like Orange Cassidy whose entire motivation is that he's lazy, is that he's a slacker, is that he doesn't have the motivation to put effort in. When you get a sequence full of, you know, roll-up pins and just scrambling pin attempts, which... Early in a match is always kind of a dead zone when you know the finish isn't coming here and it's just sort of uh, 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 something to do to fill the space between the big spots planned out. You know, it actually had character impact and meaning for a guy like Orange Cassidy to go for pins again and again and again. It shows you that he's broken out of his typical mindset, that this is important to him, that he is dialed in, that he is fired up, even more so than his entrance when he removed his jean jacket and t-shirt and aviator sunglasses before the match even started. Didn't have to have the sunnies broken right off his face, you know. He was motivated, and that adds so much you know, there was even motivation to his comedy spots, the little uh, a dink kicks that he does, you know, the yes kicks, but they're, I guess, the meh kicks, because he doesn't really seem to care about putting the effort in. Even that was a rope-a-dope to sucker Jericho in and hit him with a genuine, hard, super kick to the face. I thought his work was tremendous. I thought the The thought and psychology around everything that he did was very, very strong. He didn't win this match, but he did win me over in an even bigger way. And that's saying a lot about a guy who I already really, really liked. I mean, who doesn't love Orange Cassidy? To see him is to love him. He's like the Lloyd Dobler of wrestling if you catch that reference before we go to break though i do want to wrap up my thought on the butcher and the blade and lucha bros coming out on top over ftr and the young bucks which Wow, just putting those four teams uh, in the same sentence feels incredible. It was incredible. This was such a fun match, a demolition derby of an eight-man tag. And you know, so often we complain about the multi-man tag matches on New Japan cards, uh, how they can feel like empty filler, and it's just something that exists to give some to give guys something to do. Uh, there was storytelling in this match too. I thought it was actually really fun watching the revival and the Young Bucks learn how to work together as they shared the ring for the very first time and obviously the long-term goal whenever we happen to get it heck maybe it's at double or nothing next year but obviously at some point we are going to build towards the Young Bucks versus the Revival uh, or FTR rather that's going to take some getting used to Um, but in the meantime I I I can't wait to see what's going to happen next here. You know, we already know what we're getting next as far as this coming Wednesday's television on Dynamite this week. FTR is going head-to-head with the Lucha Brothers in a two-on-two, just straight-up tag match. I don't think I could be more fired up for that. That might, in fact, be an even more tantalizing match than Orange Cassidy versus Chris Jericho, which I came into the week just salivating over. So... Uh, just a tremendous, you know, like I said, demolition derby. The action came fast and furious. This was a match that was 16 minutes and 27 seconds long, and it was dynamic and entertaining, and I watched it with my roommate, who was not a wrestling fan at all, and he was glued to the action. When you have guys who can move like that, who can put the kind of thought into, uh, you know, the the storytelling of their matches that, all involved do because, as I said, you have some of the best wrestlers in the world in the ring for a match like that in Penta and Phoenix, and you have some of the greatest tag teams that have ever wrestled in tag team wrestling in FTR and the Young Bucks. I- it couldn't not deliver, and even as someone who went in excited for it, I still thought that was one heck. ...of a match. There's uh, a couple other notes to get to from Fighter Fest here as well. Boy, we're 33 minutes into the show already, folks, and I've barely touched on Great American Bash, and we're going to get all the way into New Japan on the other side of the break, but like I said, a jam-packed show. There's almost too much to cover, even the stuff that didn't feel big necessarily... On Fighter Fest Night 2, still had hooks to bring you back. You had Nyla Rose win a very entertaining handicap match uh, that felt a little bit like, you know. Uh... <laughs> Uh, uh, prisoners being served up to a lion in the Roman Coliseum, Nyla defeating Kenzie Page and Kylan King in 2 minutes and 11 seconds, pinning them both at the same time before announcing that, yes, just like Lance Archer, who is accompanied to the ring by Jake Roberts every week, just like Brian Cage, who's accompanied by Taz, managers have become such a big thing in AEW lately, Nyla Rose telling the crowd that she is off to get herself one of those as well, and it's a mystery as to who it will be. That's a hook for you to come back over the coming weeks to see what's going to happen there. You also had a tremendous manager segment with Taz and Brian Cage. Uh, Of course, they were supposed to have one of the main event matches of these two-week shows. If you were to ask me how this thing was supposed to go, I would think that Orange Cassidy... uh, and Chris Jericho was the set main for probably week one. And the set main for week two was going to be, of course, the main title match for the AEW Championship, John Moxley versus Brian Cage. Now, because John Moxley's wife, Renee Young of WWE, caught COVID recently, Mox went into quarantine, he was not available to work the shows. He is, however, going to push that match back to next week. And that, I think, is the most incredible thing is that AEW lost their biggest match of the last two weeks, and they still put on an incredible show. Uh, I thought last week's was good, uh, or week one rather, but night two this past week, just excellent from front to back, tremendous television, and Taz debuting the FTW championship to give a belt to Brian Cage in an incredible promo that was so good. You have to marvel at the presence that a guy like Taz has on the mic when when he's talking for two, three minutes straight. He has such a presence you don't even notice that a mammoth of a man like Brian Cage is standing right next to him. That is how compelling and dynamic and magnetic a performer Taz is on the mic. He's always been that way going back to the 90s in ECW, uh, just a great, great promo from him and, and a fun thing. I don't know where this is going to go, this FTW belt on Brian Cage. Uh, and I should hate it. I'm one of those guys who didn't even want the TNT title. I didn't want secondary belts in AEW, but I got them. And, uh, and you know, the TNT title has been a fun thing for Cody. Maybe uh, the FTW belt can be the same for Brian Cage, who uh, has, you know, uh, quite a hook with Taz at his back, but I think is still... Uh, not yet made his mark on AEW and perhaps the way people thought he would when he debuted. It's still too early to say that, though. I think if he was going to do that, it would be in this title match with Mox, and that's coming up at Fight for the Fallen this coming Wednesday. So again, great shows uh, in back-to-back weeks from both NXT and NXT. And AEW, in my opinion, Fighter Fest overall better in both weeks, but the main events of NXT in both weeks in Sasha Banks versus Io Shirai in week one, and of course, uh, Keith Lee uniting the belts and beating Adam Cole in the main event of Great American Bash this past week. uh, Two of the best matches, certainly. Of the Wednesday nights. When we come back, going to dive into New Japan Pro Wrestling as we live in an evil world, ladies and gentlemen. The King of Darkness is your new double champ. We'll tell you all about it when we come back. I'm Justin Morissette, and you're listening to Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650. I like the way you smile. saw I like to see. I never knew where evil grew. I should have steered. Pick away. yourself up off the mat. It's time for more I Wrestle, Don't Wrestle Don't Central on SportsNet dare. 650 with Justin Morissette. Well, let me tell you exactly where evil grows. Yes, the Poppy family has the right idea. In darkness, the king of darkness is now the king of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Evil claims the double gold off Tetsuya Naito in the main event of Dominion late last night around 3 a.m. Pacific time. I was watching live, and I tell you, shock of shocks, not just last night that Evil would pull off the victory, but that he even won the New Japan Cup final on Friday night at all. It is Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650. My name is Justin Morissette, and once again, if you want to have your say, by all means, please do. 650-650 is the text line, 604-280-0650 the number to dial if you want to give me a call and chat with me about the results and shows that you watched this week. I did get a tweet, however, from a friend of the show, Andrew Delbert, who says he's got to disagree with me about giving away Orange Cassidy on free TV. That's how you pull in casuals versus a pay-per-view, which only diehards drop the money on. Easy to tell a friend to go check it out for free on a commonly held television channel. Andrew, actually, I do agree with you. You misunderstood me. What I said was, Ah, uh, they presented these shows as pay-per-view. Like, I mean, even on my PVR, the you know recorded episodes did not come up as AEW Dynamite uh, on my uh, recording. It said AEW Fighter Fest, it, which you know is a very small detail, but did kind of make it feel a little bit more exciting personally. I just felt like they dropped the pay-per-view presentation. I wish that they had had a video package that could have uh, caught people up on the story because uh, commentary did a lot, but it did assume that you knew who these guys were and what was at stake and and what this feud had been. I think a, a recap to catch people up and inform a brand new audience would have gone a long way to establishing Orange Cassidy as a star that brand new people want to tune in and watch because, like, Like I said, there is clearly an appetite on social media week after week after week from all sorts of people that you don't commonly associate as wrestling fans who just love every single thing about what we see uh, from a guy like OC. But uh, enough about AEW, enough about that. Uh, We will talk about evil because, my goodness, what a result. Evil, look, I had Emily Pratt. ...on the show last week. And as I mentioned earlier, if you want to go back and catch that one, I thought it was a tremendous interview with Emily. Not because of me or any of the questions that I asked her, but what she was willing to share and the the difficult topics that we talked about. But when we talked about the New Japan Cup, both of us basically completely looked off evil. We were uh, Alex Edler on the Canucks power play a couple years ago, refusing to pass to Brock Besser. We we just completely assumed that Kazuchika Okada was going to walk on through to the main event of dominion after winning the new japan cup because there were two different ways that you could go with this weekend and with this entire tournament really uh coming out of the pandemic coming out of a of a lengthy shutdown when new japan was you know off television and and had no shows for upwards uh, of three months, coming out of that, you can go one of two ways. You can use the tournament and the pay per view uh, to kind of reset what you wanted to do initially, uh, and and carry on with your original plans, even if you lost three months of the year. Uh, or you can just r- dramatically change things up and, and completely, uh, you know, flip the chess table and <laughs> and just uh, you know uh, mix everything up. And and they opted for the latter. But I don't think anyone anticipated that. You know, neither Emily nor I last week in talking about this uh, upcoming final believed uh, that Evil was going to win. We obviously accepted it as a possibility and thought it would be an interesting uh, thing to do. But but I don't think either of us would have put money down on that being the probable thing to happen. And then even if you do have Evil win the, t- uh, the New Japan Cup tournament, he's not going to... He's not going to win the, the double gold off Naito. Are you kidding me? We've been waiting years for Tetsuya Naito to claim the double gold. We've been waiting years. Well, not the double gold, but of course the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, the main belt that has eluded him for so long. We've waited three years to see uh, Naito get that moment and the you know actual reign, the meaningful reign that we wanted him to have dashed. Uh, by the, uh, obviously, COVID shutdown originally, and then by Evil, just with an incredible performance over the last couple nights, the heartbreak of his betrayal. That's the moment that came after he won the New Japan Cup final on Friday night. Of course, Naito coming down to congratulate Evil for beating Okada, something that I don't think many fans thought was possible. Uh, and then, of course, Evil turned on him, the fist in the air, the symbol of Los Ingobernables de Japan, turning into the two Sweet, the symbol of Bullet Club, and Evil quickly turning, snapping against his leader, Naito, who had an incredible dramatic performance in that moment as well. I encourage you to find photos of the turn, uh, because Naito's acting is tremendous, just outstanding. Uh... <laughs> Uh, And he sold that moment, and he sold the heartbreak as well. I thought the finish of last night's main event was uh, a very important, uh, dramatic moment as well. Not just because, of course, this is a huge loss that nobody saw coming, a major swerve finish. But you even saw it in red shoes, showing resignation in his job as referee. He didn't even want to get down and count the pin. And there was even a reluctance in the official to have his hand hit the mat for that third count uh, to signal the end of the reign of Naito, when even the ref is depressed to do his job in a finish like that. And you've got friends, of course, who are just heartbroken over watching their hero, Tetsuya Naito, fall like this. This was a very, very big emotional moment, and very much necessary as well. It's not what I would have done, it's not what I would have predicted, but sometimes the unexpected is good, Sometimes a swerve is essential. You can't do it all the time. You can't be Vince Russo. And that drove me nuts, by the way. The implication that, oh, Gato's done lost his mind and Bruce Pritchard or Vince Russo is now booking New Japan. No. No. I, I, I push back against the idea that Evil is being hot-shotted. Yes, he just became the number one heel in all of New Japan wrestling, but kind of out of necessity, really, more than anything, you have a situation with this travel ban where, you know, guys who live in North America are not going to be able to travel to Japan for a good long while here. I have no idea how long uh, it's going to be until we're able to see some of the top guys in Bullet Club. And that's a big problem for New Japan when Bullet Club are your number one heels, when that is your top heel faction, when those are your big villains that you've kind of scheduled your entire year around. I don't think it's a, a controversial statement to say that this was supposed to be a huge year. For Kenta in NJPW, that he was going to probably be the definitive feud of the year for Tetsuya Naito. And in fact, probably was penciled in to be the guy to take the belts off of Naito at Dominion, which we saw Evil do in his place instead as the new leader of Bullet Club. Um, you know, I I do think as much as this is a course correction... Uh, and and it is a, a kind of rejigging to make do with the pieces that you still have. And look, that's that's part of bringing in a guy like uh, Dick Togo as evil's new right hand man atop the uh, the bullet club hierarchy as well. You need to bring in whatever talent is available to you in Japan because a situation like this kind of exposes, how much NJPW really does rely on some of its gaijin talent, especially on the heel side, where a Japanese audience is always going to be, uh, you know, perhaps less than receptive to, the white guys who typically make up Bullet Club. Yes, they are a fun faction that is idolized here in North America, but in Japan, they're supposed to be heels, and they often are received as them. You know, you you, you break the mold a little bit when you have a guy like Kenta, who is Japanese, uh, in the... Big heel role in that faction, or that was kind of the plan coming into this year. Uh, But even Kenta lives in Florida. You know, he still lives where he had been living uh, for his role in NXT in all those years when he was Hideo Atami in the WWE system. He never actually moved back to Japan. His family is comfortably settled uh, (laughs) in Florida, and that's why they had to make this move to install a new leader, to create a new top heel. And what a perfect use of Kazuchika Okada as well. It's Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650. My name is Justin Morissette, and let me tell you more about what I mean about that. I came to accept it, like I said, and Emily did as well, that there was just an inevitability of Okada winning the New Japan Cup and getting a crack at Naito. There's all kinds of reasons to do that. You can decide, perhaps, that you want to switch things up and put the big belts back onto uh, Okada because he's your top guy. He's your, your number one. I won't say he's your ace because of that. that, of course, is Tanahashi. But that is kind of the role that Okada occupies, and these are tumultuous times. Perhaps you want to make people feel good, and uh, give them a happy ending, perhaps, if it's happy for the majority of your audience to see Okada on top. This is what I came to expect. Look, it's a meme among my group of friends to say Okada must win, because he always does, and because we want to see him do it, too. It's not a Roman Reigns situation where people are pushing back on the idea of this guy being the talent that he is. Uh, I just, you know, would have rather seen them use the tournament, and I said this to Emily last week, to build a new star, and I didn't think they were going to do that. In the end, that's exactly what they did in the most dramatic way possible. They gave Evil a win over Okada. Nothing can establish anyone more than a victory over the number one guy in the business today. The best wrestler in the world. And maybe you would say, as my friend Mike Noble has over the last couple weeks here, former guest on this show, of course, and I would have loved to welcome him in uh, for a roundtable this evening. Hopefully, we can get back to post pay per view roundtables before too long here on the show because been too long since i've seen some faces in the studio here with me but uh regardless mike made the case that you know that he was disappointed perhaps in the last month from okada because he had good matches but he wasn't the uh best wrestler on the planet that we've come to expect from him i don't even think that's by design uh it, it's not necessarily a randy orton thing where if he's not the top focus he's not engaged and not giving it his all i think okada doesn't want to steal shine right now I think he knows this is not his moment. He still put on great matches over the course of the tournament. The one with uh, Hiromu in particular I thought was outstanding. But yes, I would agree that you're not getting the classics that you've come to expect from him. If you were, don't you think that would detract from anything that was going on with the top of the card? Don't you think he would outshine Naito? And that might not be the best thing at the moment. Instead, he just like made evil. And I'm not going to say that Evil came out of nowhere, that he's been hot-shotted to the top. Yes, he's been made a top guy, which is something that he never has been before— But he has paid his dues. He has been a featured player in New Japan Pro Wrestling for the entire time that I have been a fan watching that product. He's had quality matches up and down the undercard. He had a great match with Chris Jericho during Jericho's Painmaker run through Japan uh, a few years back here now. So, like, this is a guy who has been leaned on in key positions. He's never been a top guy. But, folks, we have to do this sometimes. This is what we complain about in WWE all the time. All the time that we do not see uh, the creation of new top guys. So when we do see it, for people to freak out and complain like, what are they doing? This is madness. You know, make up your mind on some level. And I know that, you know, not everything is what you wanted, and maybe there is actually some real heartache in watching Naito not have the run that you wanted him to get. Well, guess what? Baby faces are always better in the chase. And if the coming storyline that we're going to see here for the next six months in Japan is building up to Naito Evil 2, whether that's at Wrestle Kingdom or a little bit earlier in the year than that. Man, I am so into that. Sign me up for that. I, my interest in New Japan right now is, is higher than it's been in a good year and a half, basically, since the elite guys left to go form AEW. Uh, you know, and that's the, that is the benefit of one big result like that, one shocking upset. And people generally were upset. People were very, very sad to see Naito lose. And that's good. That's good. This is theater. This is drama. If you get a result that you don't like and you leave the arena or you turn off the TV and you're mad and you're so mad that you're going to quit the business and not even watch the next show, that's bad. But when you're actually genuinely heartbroken by a result and it builds a hatred for a heel that you desperately want to see lose and get his comeuppance, that's outstanding, folks! That's what we're here for! So I can't complain about the results here in New Japan over the last couple days. The shows were maybe not as entertaining top to bottom as they should be, though I will give a tip of the hat to Master Wado who uh, out- performed expectations on my end. I thought that gimmick was dead in the water when he debuted last week, but uh, I thought he was actually pretty good in the match on Friday night, actually, uh, against Dookie. So, you know, I, I had a good time with that one, and I, 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 I do think that they are in a, a bind here where they got to build up some guys real fast because they're going to be running two tournaments side by side later on in the year. They're going to be running the G1 and the Super Juniors at the exact same time. And that is still a couple months away, and maybe travel restrictions will be loosened by then, but if not, they have some work cut out for them to establish a lot of Japanese talents, maybe bring in some guys from other cities, in fact, Uh or from other companies, rather, within Japan. You might have to do a talent share agreement. Uh, you know, a rising tide floats all boats. One more point that I want to make on New Japan before we wrap up for the night. Last week, Emily and I talked about the, the idea that... Uh, it was going to be a little bit weird to see a packed crowd uh, in Osaka Joe Hall for the show last night, and for the New Japan Cup, uh, the New Japan Cup final, I should say, on Friday night as well. I didn't actually feel that bad about it. It didn't make me scared. It didn't make me nervous. I thought it actually had a huge impact on my enjoyment of the show. Uh, I thought it was going to detract and that all I would be thinking about is just the fear that these people could catch COVID and that this could be a disaster for this company. But they were spaced out. It seemed safe. They added an atmosphere that has definitely been missing from wrestling as a whole since the shutdown. And it made me think about the comments of Sean Doolittle, a pitcher in Major League Baseball, who I believe is still with the Washington Nationals, but don't quote me on that. I'm much more of a wrestling guy than a baseball guy. Sean Doolittle said that sports are the reward of a functioning society, a society that actually tackles this problem well and and makes things manageable and safe. Well, they are rewarded by being able to have live sports for the people to enjoy. That is the reward of actually managing this outbreak and actually dealing with the societal issues before you. If you don't do it, it feels queasy. But if you do do it, it does feel like a reward. And that is exactly what these New Japan shows felt like here over the last couple nights. Before we wrap up, however, I do want to look at the text line and take your questions before I call it a night. Uh, Got one here from Andy in Burnaby. Andy says, New Japan Pro Wrestling question, is the faction-based story progression the successful implementation of WWE's claim of performers being more than faces or heels? It's an interesting question, Andy. If I understand what you're asking me here, uh, are you saying that there is, you know... uh, WWE likes to claim that heels and faces are are roles that are antiquated that don't really exist anymore. I don't necessarily believe that. And no, you know what, Andy? I'm going to say no. Because I do think there is a clear... Uh, alignment of all the factions within New Japan. They might skirt back and forth sometimes. Uh, for example, a faction like LiJ can be tweeners, can play both roles, but they are very obviously babyfaces. I mean, Hiromu is probably the most sympathetic guy going. The scream that he unleashed last night after evil lost the or, or rather uh, Naito dropped the belts to evil, challenging evil for both or even just one. Of the straps that he picked up, we might be seeing Hiromu as your new IWGP Intercontinental Champion before too long here. Um, you know, no, I I, I explained the storyline last night to someone who's not even interested in wrestling. She wanted to know why I was so fired up, why this was such a shock. And I explained the stakes and the relationships, and I explained it by uh, kind of drawing the alignment and explaining what it means to be a member of LIJ and what it means to be a member of Bullet Club. And when you have that, uh, I think that is a clear indication that faces and heels still do exist. And I was able to explain it in a way that the drama made sense to her. So, uh, you know, I think they do a really good job with their storytelling over there. And I do think that having factions uh, and and the bulk of the roster being involved in factions really does help with that. Uh, a couple more questions here before we wrap up. Aldo Montoya says... Uh, don't forget Vancouver's own El Fantasmo. He was probably going to have a very good year, as well as a Bullet Club guy who is currently unavailable to the company. And I tell you, although I would never forget about LP, who is very near and dear to the heart of the program here on Wrestle Central. And you make a good point. That is another guy who was established as a very strong heel for that faction, albeit in the junior division. But that just proves my point about them needing to introduce new juniors. Uh, in a hurry here over the next couple weeks and months. And I do think a guy like Master Watto, well, obviously not a performer on the level of El Phantasmo, uh, maybe you know, fills a bit of the hole that they are going to need to fill out the entire bracket for the Super Junior uh, tournament coming up later in the year. One final question here. <laughs> Who do you see walking out of Slammiversary with the Impact title signed Vince Russo? Well... Mr. Russo, thank you for listening. Uh, (laughs) I like to do pay-per-view previews on the show here this week. We had too many shows to review to really get into it, but of course, uh, Extreme Rules is next Sunday night, and Impact is holding Slammiversary the night before on Saturday as well. Tessa Blanchard was supposed to defend her title in a five-way match against Michael Elgin, uh, two other fools whose names I can't remember, and a mystery opponent. Elgin and Blanchard both fired from the company over the last uh, couple of weeks here for, you know, different reasons, but ultimately uh, not being great people, I think, is what it comes down to. So it is a vacant title up for grabs, uh, and I'm going to put it on the Mystery Man. Mystery Man always wins. Vince, Vince Russo, you should know that better than anyone. If there is a mystery opponent in a match... I would say put your money on that guy every single time. In this case, I really do think it will be the return of uh, Ethan Carter III. EC3 going to come back to where things really make sense for him, and that's Impact Wrestling. I would be surprised if he does not walk out of that show with the Impact title. And that'll do it for us here this evening. You know, (laughs) I would say I would be surprised. I was very surprised the last few nights at EVIL. Our new top heel, probably not just in New Japan, might be one of the top heels in the entire world of wrestling, and he feels like a big deal. And Bullet Club feels energized in a way that I don't think they would if business had carried on as usual this year, and they didn't have to scramble to course correct and and change things up. And in fact, this might not be the scrambling course correction that some people think it is. Uh, Wrestling Observer Newsletter, Dave Meltzer, of course, Close to a year ago, 247 days ago, reported on his show, or in his newsletter rather, that one idea talked about for 2020 is breaking evil away from LIJ and Sonata and giving him a strong singles push. I do believe that's why we saw a tag title change at Dominion last night as well, freeing up Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kota Ibushi to be in that main event singles scene as well. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Sonata gets something of a singles push now that his former tag partner is, uh, you know, the top heel in the promotion. I'll be back next week, of course, to do this all over again, and we will have another packed show to talk about next week after, as I mentioned, Slammiversary and WWE Extreme Rules. So come on back for that one, folks. My pleasure talking to you about the business we do so love here this evening we'll do it next week same bat time same bat channel 10 p.m. right here on sportsnet 650 until then i have been and will continue to be justin morissette and you've been listening to the home of professional wrestling on the radio in vancouver it's wrestle central on sportsnet 650